Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. Well, let's go ahead and open up in prayer, and we will dive into the Word. God, thank you so much for your grace. Lord, I just pray right now, God, for every person in this room. God, there's so many thoughts, God that are just spinning around in our heads, so many emotions and things going on, Lord. We just trust, God, that the power of your word will prevail. Jesus, we need this message. The message of the gospel is so profound and it's so important and it's relevant today. It's relevant right now in this service for us, God. We honor you. We give this service to you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 Well, we are, we are so excited to, to we call this series "Win in Rome," and so uh, this whole month we are going to be reading the book of Romans. We've been actually, if you've been a part of our one-year Bible reading, you've already been reading the book of Romans starting this week. How many of you have uh, been tracking along with the book of Romans? Go ahead and lift your hand. That's awesome. If you haven't, this is a great time to jump in. There are sixteen chapters of awesomeness in the book of Romans, and you don't want to miss one chapter. So here's my challenge to you. Take the next 16 days and read one chapter of Romans per day. And I promise you, it is going to change your life. The book of Romans is a game changer. Turn to your neighbor and say, game changer. It is a game changer. It will forever alter uh, your world, because Paul, what's so unique about this is the apostle Paul is writing the book of Romans and he's actually writing to a church that he has never been to. This wasn't his church. He wasn't the pastor of the Roman church. Other people had, uh, had since uh, planted this church. And so Rome in those times was the most important city in the world. I want you to imagine if you took the importance of uh, Los Angeles D.C. and New York, and you wrap them all into one city. This was Rome. It was the center of architecture. It was the center of intellect, of law and military and intelligence. Everybody who was anybody was in this city. And Paul is writing this letter to this church, and he's wanting to make sure one very important thing, that the most important church in the most important city has a clear understanding of the gospel. It is a game changer. And if you would just take this journey with us for the next month, reading the gospel according to Paul right here in the book of Romans, then I believe it'll change your life. You ever have one of those moments where you discovered something that you knew your life would never be the same again. You knew from this moment forward, your life was different. I had one of these moments uh, about a week and a half ago. Uh, me and my wife, uh, my beautiful wife, Amanda, uh, she works in nursery. You can always see her in a blue kid shirt. Um, we have three uh, beautiful, amazing daughters, five and younger. And so I've, we've got our hands full. We, we, if you have small kids, you know. They're, we both work full time, have a lot of responsibility, lots of things going on. And so about two months ago, we decided that we were going to uh, reevaluate who does what in the home. We took the home responsibilities. And then what we had was something like an NFL draft. 
you know, where we laid out all the possible selections and then we thought to ourselves, okay, I'll go first. And with the first selection of the 2017 household draft, I'm gonna take taking out the trash. And then we kind of went down the list and we were, and it was like, it kind of started out with, what do you hate the most? What do you hate the most? Okay, I'll do that. I don't hate that as much as you do. And so we were trying to figure this out. And so I um, unwillingly drafted uh, groceries and being in charge of all of the food planning and grocery shopping. Um, this is not something I wanted to do, but because uh, I'm a Christian uh, and, a, and I want to stay married, I felt like I needed to. And so I drafted the groceries and about two weeks later, somebody told me something I couldn't believe. They told me that Walmart will now shop for you. Have you heard this amazing truth, this revelation? So this is what they said. They said, oh yeah, you just order your groceries online and you pull up to Walmart and they will just deliver this to you. They will just deliver the groceries directly to your car. You don't even have to get out of your car. And so I was like, wait, so you mean, oh, I was very skeptical. I'm like, you mean tell me I never have to go in Walmart again? Like this is, a, this is a realistic possibility for my life at this point. I had to try this out. And so what I did was I ordered the groceries and as I'm pulling up on property, there's all these signs at the Walmart saying, if you're, if you're, do, if you're here to do the grocery pickup, you gotta go and you got this spot here. And as I'm pulling up, like I'm literally feeling like I'm doing something wrong. You ever been in one of those situations? You start feeling guilty because I'm starting, to, I'm seeing people park really far away and walk into the Walmart. And I'm like, that could be me, but it's not. And, and so I pull into this spot and then this is the kind of shady thing. It says, you got to call this number. Now, now here's the deal. I've never been a part of a drug deal, <laughs> but this felt like a drug deal. And so I, I get my phone out and I call this number and this like shady character answers the phone. And I'm like, hey, hey man, you got my stuff? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, man, what's your name? And I tell him and he's like, yeah. and see, they come out and I'm just thinking, be cool, be cool. You know, I'm like, is this like hitting camera? You know, am I getting punked? What is happening here? And this guy comes out and he loads all my groceries in and as I'm driving away, I literally thought my life is forever altered. <laughs> it's, it's changed forever. I can now grocery shop on my couch. This is unbelievable. This is just like the book of Romans. If you would dive, yeah, <laughs> you gotta connect stories somehow. That's how I did it there. Uh, you gotta, if you would just dive into this book, and you just take the next 16 uh, days and read a chapter a day, I promise you, God will do something powerful in your life. There's a verse in Romans, and now out of all of the scriptures in the entire New Testament, if you really look, you know, there's scriptures we all know, like John 3.16. Probably no scripture than the one I'm about to read has impacted humanity more. And it's so important, and it's almost kind of unassuming. When, you, when I'll read it in a second, you'll kind of think, oh, that doesn't sound very profound. But the truth that lies within it is so important, and this is what we're going to unpack today. It's found in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. Paul said this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is God's power. Everyone say power. God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it is God's righteousness. Everyone say righteousness. It's God's righteousness, not my righteousness. It's God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. 
just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now today, um, my task is to cover the first five chapters of the book of Romans. And you're not gonna wanna miss next Sunday. Next Sunday is gonna be awesome. Uh, We're gonna be covering chapters six, seven, and eight. And there is just so much gold. And the the point of next week is really gonna be how the gospel changes our lives. How do we actually become transformed in Christ? And so please do not miss this next installment. It is so important for you. But I'm gonna basically sum up five chapters that Paul writes into two simple statements. The first one is this. We are really, really good at sinning. Yeah, you encouraged yet? Turn to your neighbor and say, you make sinning look easy. (laughs) Have you ever noticed how easy it is to sin? Look, if sinning were a sport, human beings would be drafted in the first round, okay? We are all stars. We are the LeBron James of sinning, okay? We are all this. Paul says this. He says, says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Romans 3, he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know what's so interesting to me is when I became a parent, it became apparent that I don't have to teach my children how to sin. How many of you have children in here? How many of you taught your children how to steal? Nobody? Okay, if you did, that would be a little weird, a little weird there. But he, a few months ago, um, me and my wife had the privilege of going to Disney World, you know, the mouse house. And we're there. And now, if you've ever taken uh, a vacation with small children, you know it's not actually a vacation. It's a, we call it a trip because it, vacations are, you're supposed to like come back feeling refreshed and not completely exhausted. But we went with these small children uh, to Disney World and we were in one of the uh, parks and my wife had lost her sunglasses. And so she said, hey, can we go into one of these stores and let me look for, uh, look for some sunglasses? I'm like, yeah, sure. And so we're in the store. It's me and my wife, my father-in-law and uh, my daughters. Now we had rented one of those those like ginormous uh, strollers. Have you seen these things? Like you could smuggle three people in it, like three grown men could fit in one of these things. And I mean, it's just packed. We got all kinds of stuff and our girls are jumping in and out of it all day long. And we're in this store, I'm trying to maneuver the stroller and my wife is looking for sunglasses. So if, you, if, if, if you've ever been in one of these situations, you then know it's, it defaults to me that I'm supposed to be watching the children, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> And I'm not paying attention to what any, of the, what any of my kids are doing. My wife is putting on sunglasses. She couldn't find any sunglasses. So we thought to ourselves, all right, let's go ahead and go. And so I, I, get, the, I get the stroller and we start walking out. And as soon as we walk outside, my father-in-law looks over and he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. And we're like, what? And I look in the stroller and there are about 20 stuffed animals in the stroller. And I'm talking like price tags of 25 and up. Okay. And they are, they are strategically placed. Um, this was, this was an inside job. Um, my children had decided that they were going to take these things. And he, and we had a arrangement with my daughters that they would get one thing at the end of the week as a souvenir. So they knew, and they stuffed these stuffed animals, all of these little toys into all these little crevices. And it took us about 15 minutes to unload this thing. And when we got back inside, I really thought, you know, the, you know, the, 
the crazy Disney police were going to come after us. You know, the guys with the aviator sunglasses and the heads. And, they, and, and, and we got back in there and no one even said anything, which is kind of odd. Um, but we went there and we put all the stuff back. And I just thought to myself, where did they learn to do this? I never taught them how to steal. Maybe my wife did. I don't know. What me? I've never modeled stealing. My wife doesn't steal. Okay, so FYI, that was for funny purposes. I, they, I've never modeled this. This was instinct for them. It was so natural. For us as human beings, sin is so natural. And with that sin comes guilt. Because when we sin, when we do something wrong, we bring guilt upon ourselves. And in the heavenly court of law, God looks at humanity and he says that we are guilty. This is the scary, I'm going to read you a scripture. This is the scariest scripture in like all the Bible, okay? There's like a lot of really encouraging ones, but this one frightens me. In Romans 2.16, Paul says this, and this is the message that I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. I think I'm going to just end the sermon right here and come back next week. That's not very encouraging, is it? When I read that, I was like, I'm done. Guilty as charged. My secret life. See, we judge people. We look at humanity. We always judge by the exterior. We always judge people by their public lives. But God looks at our secret lives. He looks at what we do when no one else is around. And even more scary he sees the thoughts that we never let anyone know. If you ever had a bad thought, an impure thought, have you ever had your boss say something to you and you were smiling and nodding, but there was a different conversation going on upstairs. God sees those thoughts and there will come a day when God through Jesus, meaning Jesus will sit on the judgment seat and he will judge everyone's life, not just what has been known, but even the unknown. And so Paul knows that the reader, that the church in Rome is asking a question. And this is the question that they're asking. Is there any way for me to be justified? Is there any way for me to be justified? The word justified is an ancient legal term, and it means this. It means not guilty. This is the question. Is there any way me, who is guilty, could possibly stand before a holy God and expect to receive anything other than a guilty verdict? Is there a way? First, Paul tells us what won't work. Look at Romans 3.20. He says this, for no one will be justified in his sight by works of the law. Everyone say no one. What is Paul saying here? He is saying there is no amount of good things that you could possibly do to earn your salvation. You cannot do enough good to outdo all the bad that you have done. 
growing up, I always thought, you know, everything was like a scale, you know, okay, if you, you know, you put one pebble down for a bad deed, then you put one pebble down for a good deed. And at the end of your life, as long as the good deeds have outweighed the bad deeds, you're doing good. You're doing fine. That's not what Paul says. Paul says there's not enough good that you can do to justify the sin that you've committed. But I love that Paul doesn't stop here. There is more than three chapters in the book of Romans because there is hope. Look at the next verses. It says in verse 21, but now, those are two really good words. But now, apart from the law, God's righteousness has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. That is God's righteousness. Remember we said, not my righteousness, God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've already read that. Verse 24. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, the first thing is that like we're really, really good at sinning. The second thing is this, is God is really, really, really good at grace. Amen? God, it says, will freely justify us by his grace. Have you ever uh, read the Bible or heard uh, preachers or somebody talking, you hear them talk about mercy and then you hear them talk about grace and you ever wonder, what's the difference between mercy and grace? You know, mercy is not getting what you deserve, okay? Mercy is not getting what you deserve, but grace is getting what you do not deserve, okay? They're two sides of the same coin. When God holds back punishment, that's mercy. But when God pours out his love, that's grace, the best way that I can explain is this, is imagine with me there's this, uh, there's this young boy and he's been uh, in and out of the foster care system his whole life. He's never really had uh, parents uh, that loved him, that poured into him, that um, uh, taught him right. And he's living this life and he gets caught up in some wrong stuff. Now this young boy makes some friends and they... And he makes a lot of really bad choices. And one night they decide they're going to break into the store. They're going to, they're going to vandalize it. They're going to destroy the property. They're going to steal. And they do this. And the young boy is caught red-handed. There is no question about his involvement. There is no question about his guilt. And then imagine a courtroom scene where in this courtroom there is a young boy who has had a hard life but has made some poor choices. And then there's another man who has a bit, he's owned this business and he has, uh, he's the victim. He has been robbed. He has been broken into. It has cost him thousands of dollars. And now this young boy can never pay that store owner back. He can't afford it. He could never pay back that sort of debt. And you have this judge and the judge is a good man. And he looks down and he, he has compassion for this boy, this wrongdoer. And he looks at him and he knows he's guilty. But he wants to show him mercy. He wants to show him grace. But here's the thing. If he just lets that boy off the hook, 
it will be at the cost of the owner. Do you see that? Justice will pay the price. You see, because if he's merciful, then what'll happen is he won't be just. But if he's just, he won't be merciful. If he makes that young boy pay back the debt that he can't pay, then he will show him no mercy. And the judge is at war within himself. How can he satisfy mercy? How can he satisfy grace and yet still satisfy justice? Now imagine this judge gets down from his bench and he walks over to the store owner and he pulls out a checkbook and he said, I'll pay back everything that you're owed. And he writes a check for the amount that that store owner needs to pay back what was wronged him. And then that judge gets back to the bench and he looks at that young boy and he says, not guilty. That's the only way. That's the only way he can show mercy and justice. The only way is if he takes the cost upon himself. Now imagine this, that that judge looks down at that young boy and he says, you know what? I've, I've legally, I freed you. You're free to go. But I don't want you to go back out there. I want you to become my son. I want to adopt you. I want you to bear my name. And if you're willing, you can come into my family, have access to my house, my refrigerator, my cars, everything that is mine is yours. And you will be my son. I will call you by my name and everything that I have is yours. You see, that is grace. You see, yeah, you can clap for that. Because mercy is him not making him pay back what he owes, but grace is him extending even further and adopting him as his own son. One of the greatest mysteries of the gospel is this profound truth, is that God freed us legally so he can know us personally. This is the great revelation, why? Why would God at great cost to himself give us mercy that we don't deserve? And the answer is very simple because he always wanted a relationship with us. You see, God didn't just free you legally. He didn't just pronounce mercy and say, hey, you don't have to go to hell forever, good luck. He wanted more than that. He wanted you. He wanted to know you. He wanted you to know him. He wanted a relationship with you. You see, we can stand in front of a holy God and we can have confidence that even though we've sinned and even though that we have guilt, that God will look down upon us and he will declare not guilty. We can have that confidence all because of what I'm about to read you. In Matthew 26, we have a picture of a courtroom and there's a judge and there's a defendant 
and the defendant's name is Jesus. And he's standing as an innocent man before a judge. And it says this, then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, well, aren't you gonna answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the son of God. And Jesus replied, you've said it. And in the future, you will see the son of man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, blasphemy. Why do we even need other witnesses? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty. They shouted. He deserves to die. You see, the reason as a Christian, having done all the horrible things that I've done after sinning my whole life, that I can stand before a holy God and expect the verdict not guilty is not because of a bunch of religious activity. It's not because I served really hard. It wasn't because I tried to be nice to a bunch of people. The reason I can have confidence that when I stand before the great judge is not because I am innocent, but because Christ, who was innocent, took the guilty verdict for me. It's called the great exchange. And I feel like in light of all that is happening right now in our city, in our country, there is no message more important than the gospel because the Bible says it is the power of God for salvation. There is no other power. There is no other way. This is the way. And I wanna pray for you because I feel like there's two groups of people in here. First, I believe there are people in here that maybe you've been coming to church a while. Maybe this is your first time ever being a part of an experience like this. And you hear this message and you know, based upon the inventory of your own life, based upon the thoughts about yourself, you know you would be found guilty. You know if you stood before a holy God, he could look down at your life and he can say guilty. But while this message was going forth, you felt God himself drawing you and saying, you can know for sure today, if you would accept my son in faith, I will pay the price you never can pay. I believe that someone here today, God is speaking to you right now. And you need to make a decision to accept Christ for the first time and to transfer your guilt onto him. But also I believe, I've only been in ministry for about 15 years, but one thing I've seen way too often is Christians not understanding this thought, not uh, relying on this biblical truth that Christ has indeed paid the price. And I've seen Christians walk through guilt just covered in guilt because of things they've said, things they've done, people they've hurt, mistakes, sin, all of these things. And they just walk around with an unnecessary guilt. 
and they're carrying something Jesus has already carried. And they're almost doing it to punish themselves. It's like they, they feel like if they can hold on to the guilt, then somehow they can pay back the price of what they've done. But the message for you, if you are a Christian is, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225-753-2273.